all sports news here, continuing our live interviews of our Olympic hopefuls for this year. Today, we're interviewing Al Fickman in training for the Olympic triathlon. Al, can you give us an idea of what it's like to be an Olympic hopeful? Oh, I don't know. I've always liked to watch the Olympics. and In fact, just last year, I was watching the Olympics with my mom, and she turns to me and says, you know, you ought to do that. And I decided that I'd give it a shot. What an inspiring story, inspired by his mom. Al, I understand that uh, most triathletes work years to perfect each event. Can you tell us what your history is? Well, I was always pretty good at gym. I played a really mean game of kickball. Kickball? Uh, what about track and field and the swim team? We didn't have a swim team at my school. I just figured that I'd go down there and give it a shot. I mean, how hard can it be? I'm in pretty good shape. Uh, this is the Olympics. <laughs> Al, um, what's that? This? This is a Twinkie. You a Twinkie? A yeah. Twinkie. Uh, do you have any idea of what it means to be an Olympic athlete? I mean, you have to sacrifice your time to train, to eat right. Do you even know where the Olympics are going to be held? I'd figured they'd say in the paper. That's it. We're out of here. This is All Sports News, continuing our live interviews with this year's Olympic hopefuls. Hopefully you can turn in tomorrow and see someone who's willing to pay the price. Cut. Let's go. Hey, don't get all mad. Have a Twiggy. Good morning. Welcome to our third of our full weekend services here at New Spring. I'm dressed in shocker colors here today. Uh, 9.30, we had almost all the baseball team with us, and so I told Gene I'd, I'd wear a jersey, and he loaned me a jersey. So, And then beyond that today, our talk is going to have a lot to do with athletics. So if you like sports, the, the aspect of change we're going to talk about today really the, the guy who talks to us from the Bible is going to talk to us in the area of sports. So we'll get into that in just a moment. First of all, I want to say thank you to all of you who are gathered here today and, and for the challenges that you've probably faced getting in today. I know we're really, really crowded. It gives me an opportunity to say we have four weekend services here at New Springs. So if the 11 o'clock is starting to get a little bit crowded, we still have a little bit of space at Saturday night and also at 930. And then we have a brand new service that's just getting started at 1230. And, and in, the problem with that service, if there is a problem, is it's... Um, it's kind of an adults-only service because there's no kids' world. And so those are just options for you. And if we're getting too jammed in here at 11, it could be that one of those will work well for you, maybe just a little bit easier. Well, our theme is change. And we're, we're talking about that all during the month of January. Five weekends, we're talking about how to have serious change in our lives. And all of us, I think, if we, like we talked about last week, if we look very closely, we'll find elements that are in our lives that shouldn't be, and we'll find things that should be in our lives that aren't in our lives. And so the question is, how do we change, really change, not just tweak, because I'm really good at tweaking, but how do we change 
How does the inner person really become a different person, and is that possible? Well, last weekend we talked about changing your mind. Today, we're going to get into, I think, the aspect of change that will eventually tell your story and tell my story. Before I get into it, though, let let me just back up and and go into a a Bible story, because I want us to, to see how this works out in everyday life. Several thousand years ago, there was a guy named Daniel. And Daniel was in a tough spot. He was a Jewish young man, but he was carried away captive into a foreign land. And he went in basically as a slave. But the Babylonians had kind of an interesting way of of doing business. They wanted to like take the best and brightest from the peoples of captured lands and indoctrinate them um, and integrate them into their own culture. And so they took the best and brightest young men, young women, and they trained them in their universities. They taught them their way of lives in the hopes that these young people would basically go out and become sort of missionaries for the Babylonian culture. One of the young men that the Babylonians selected was this guy named Daniel. He was very bright. He'd come from a good home. He had good training. Uh, But they basically brought him in, trained him in their universities. And then it wasn't long before, after he graduated from the universities, he started to rise to the ranks and do extraordinary things for a young man who who really wasn't a Babylonian. Um, It wasn't long before he was an administrator. And then he got promoted and promoted and promoted and promoted. And finally, when we get to chapter 6, the king of the empire at that time had decided that the way he was going to do things, he would break up his empire into 120 sections, and he would appoint a governor over each one of those sections. It had been pretty massive if, if Daniel had just been one of the governors, but he wasn't. The king decided also that he would put three men over all 120 governors, and this triumvirate would basically rule the country. And Daniel was one of those three guys, but it didn't just stop there. If you read the beginning of Daniel chapter 6, you'll discover that the king had decided at this point that he could dispense with the other two guys in the triumvirate and that he would just use Daniel. So it would just be the king and Daniel would be the chief administrator over all the country. It's an old saying, if you want to be hated, just have more, know more, and do more. And Daniel at this point was really getting some serious hatred. Because after all, the other governors and the other guys who had been over the governors, they looked at Daniel and thought, what's, what's this guy doing telling us what to do? What's this guy doing have this, having this kind of success? Where'd this guy come from? If you've ever risen through the ranks quickly and you felt the envious glare of others who would have liked to have achieved what you achieved, then you can understand where Daniel was. All he wanted to do was do a good job. But anyway... These 120 governors and these two other guys decided to take Daniel down. And they started looking in his closet for skeletons. You know, I, I, I'm not Democrat or Republican, so I don't really get into politics. But I will tell you one thing that I feel sometimes. I, I do feel sympathy for people who are in public life because just of the scrutiny that these people go through. How many of us would stand up to that kind of scrutiny if they looked in every corner of every aspect of our lives? But you know what? Daniel was such a good guy. His, in, his person on the inside was so good that they checked everything out. They looked at every financial deal. They looked at every administrative decision. They looked at every, you know, every aspect of his life. Did he have, you know, have, you know, did he have issues in, in the area of sex, money, lying, cheating, whatever? And at the end of the day, they said, we can't take this guy down because he's so squeaky clean. One of the guys said, hey, I know what to do. Let's hit him on this religion thing. Because, you know, this guy, Daniel, he's, he's kind of a religious freak. And so they went to the king, and they did that. They did, the king, of course, had no idea what was going on. They went to the king, and they said, oh, king, we have a deal for you. We'd like for you to sign a law because we don't feel like you're getting enough respect. By the way, always be careful about people who flatter you, right? Always be careful with people who kiss up to you. 
Because a lot of times that kissing up is the kiss of death. And they, they said to the king, they said, hey, king, we, we want you to get more respect. We don't think you're getting enough. So here's the deal. Why don't you write this law that anybody who prays to anybody except you for the next 30 days, we put them in a den of lions, let the lions eat them alive. The king, not knowing what was going on, because he's very fond of Daniel, the king said, okay. And it went into the law. It became codified. In that, particular, in that particular world, any law that was signed by the king, not even the king himself could change it. And so the guys banned his suit. I mean, ink was not even cool on the document when they said, we got Daniel. And so Daniel, of course, now is facing what he is going to do. We'll pick the story up in a moment. Can I say this to all of us? Most people think that our lives are dictated or determined by the events that happen to us. I love to read biographies. I like to watch biographies on television. One thing that I find in most writers, when they talk about a person's life, a man or woman's life, they'll tend to look at the things that happen in that person's life. You know, maybe they had a childhood illness. You know, maybe, maybe they had difficulty in school. Maybe there was a divorce. Maybe this person went to prison. They'll, they'll talk about the events that happen in, in our lives. But guys, I want to tell you something. When my life story is written and when your life story is written, it will not be about the f- events that happen to us. It'll be about something else altogether. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Before I do... Let's just back up to last week, because last week in, in week number one of change, we started with changing our minds. We said that's where, that's where change starts. We have to change our way of thinking. The very word repent in the Bible means to change our minds. That is what God calls us to do. And to see if we have a bad habit in our lives, what has to happen is we have to say, you know, what I think is working for me is not working for me. What I thought was good for me is not good for me. So I've got to change my mind about it. I thought that guy was good in this relationship, but now I'm having to be honest, he's not good for me. She's not good for me. I'm having to say, hey, I've changed my mind. I'm having to say that substance that I pump into my body is not good for me. I've changed my mind. I'm not going to pursue it. I have to say, you know what? The laziness that's in my life is not good. And I got to tell you something. I think when Americans look at what needs to change in our lives, I think probably number one on the hit parade is just laziness. Listen to what the Bible says about about laziness. I'm pulling this from Proverbs 18, verse 9. Slack habits and sloppy work are as bad as vandalism. Did you know that? Slack habits and sloppy work are as bad as vandalism. In other words, it's just as bad. It, 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 bad habits are, are, are like being stolen from. So, but that's where we started, changing our minds, saying what, what I thought was good for me isn't good. What I thought was too difficult, I really begin to see is good for me. And so you guys wrote me and told me, hey, Mark, I've locked on. I've, I've decided what needs to change in my, my life. But it could be that we would have to be honest with each other and say, but it's still pretty tough, right? You say, I've changed my mind, but it's still tough. Well, two things. Number one, don't feel bad because if you've changed your mind about what needs to happen in your life, that's a really important step. And, and a lot of people never get there. So number one, if you've changed your mind about something that needs to change in your life, that's something to feel very good about. It's a big part of the battle. But the second thing is I want to make sure that we, don't, that we don't crack up at that point. Because what happens for many of us, when we see something that needs to change in our lives, we change our mind, and then it's very hard. And then we have a, at least I do, we Americans have a saying that's like saying, I failed, but let's not take this any further. And here's the saying, I tried, I tried, I tried and it didn't work. In fact, one saying that we have, and I've said it before, is I tried the best I could. What do we do with that statement? 
In fact, many of you are in management. What do you do when someone underperforms and when you bring them in for a review and tell them what's not working, that person will say, but I tried the best I could. What I want us to think about today is that isn't the question. It's not just a matter of trying. It's a matter of something else. Work with me for a few moments. You really are going to have to suspend reality and use your imagination. Okay? Suppose I get a call today from the Pittsburgh Steelers. And they say to me, we got to have you, buddy. It's it's AFC championship game. (laughs) Don't laugh so fast. Really hurt my feelings. And they said, we, we got to have you, buddy. We, we, we want you to play wide out for us today in the AFC championship game. Heinz Ward's kind of underproducing, so we want you to come in and, and take his spot, okay? Got a lot of issues with that. Number one, I'm a lifelong Dallas Cowboy fan. I just can't see myself doing that. The second thing is, there's a little talent problem there. And as much as I hate to admit it, there is a serious age issue. But let's just back all that out for a moment and say that's not a problem. And I'm saying, okay, I'm going to catch the next thing smoking. I'm going to be there in Pittsburgh, and I'm going to play for you guys. I would probably last one play. And when they brought me over to the sideline in the stretcher (laughs) and rolled me off on the little cart, I could say, I tried the best I could. Would it make any difference? Zero difference. Because I haven't trained to do that job. Those guys who play pro football, man, many of them started out Pop Warner football. They played junior high, middle school football. They played high school football. They went to college. They played college football. They work out. They train every day. They, you know, basically kill themselves getting prepared for that game. And then beyond that, there's all the mental preparation. They watch film. They learn the game plan. They've trained for that moment. And no matter how hard I've tried... I wouldn't be any good because I haven't trained. For instance, another, another example here, maybe slightly more plausible. Suppose we were in a concert hall. There's a nine-foot grand piano. The lights are all, there's candelabra sitting on the piano. Thousands of people gathered to hear this concert, this piano concert. And they say, our pianist today is Mark Hoover. I can play mean chopsticks, let me tell you. You know, it would, it would be laughable. Why? Because I haven't trained to be a concert pianist. It wouldn't matter how hard I tried. I could sit there. I could just rack my brain trying to come up with the ways to play the notes. But at the end of the day, it's going to be chopsticks and maybe a couple of measures of Moonlight Sonata. That is basically all that's going to happen if I'm on that stage. Because I haven't trained. Concert pianists, they start you know, they start taking lessons when they're very small. They play for hours every day. They practice every day. They study. They study technique and, and all kinds of aspects of music in order to be able to play a concert. See, what I want to do is I want to kind of get under our hood and behind our grill a little bit because so many times in our lives, we, we don't succeed at what we need to do, and we say, but I tried. The question is, did we train? Are we trying or are we training? Because if I look at my life, the failure in my life is not that I have a, you know, because here's the deal, forgive me for breaking a sentence, but it kind of works like this. I, I cannot honestly look God in the face with anything he's ever asked me to do and say, God, I'm sorry, I didn't have the equipment to do what you asked me to do. Because God will never ask you to do anything he doesn't give you the, the ability to do. But I have, honestly, just keeping it real here, I do have to stand before God today and say, God, I failed many times because I didn't train for what you were wanting me to do. See, here's the thing. 
What determines your life is not what happens to you. Because there will be a lot of bad things that happen, just like Daniel. I mean, there were, these guys hated Daniel. They tried to take him down. They actually got the law written to mess him up. There will be stuff like that ha- happens to you. But that will not tell your story. You say, Mark, my life is over. I went through a divorce. That won't tell your story. You say, Mark, I got laid off the other day and I've lost my job. That won't tell your story. What will tell my story, what will tell your story, is our habits. Let's go back and read a little bit from the the story of Daniel in Daniel chapter 6. Look at this for a moment. In in Daniel 6, the Bible says that when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, what he did was he he prayed. Let, Let me read this to you. And in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom. See, here's the thing. What Daniel did at that moment when he knew everything was stacked against him, he didn't go to pieces. He didn't freak out. It was his habit. It was his habit that made him a success. Always remember this. Habits work like gravity. Good habits will pull you to success. Bad habits will pull you to failure every time. Habits. See, when, when Daniel was up against it, when the law was written, what was it? He, he didn't say, oh, no, what am I going to do? Am I going to go to pieces? Am I not going to pray for the next 30 days? It was his habit to pray three times a day. He, had the, he knew the writing was signed. He went straight home, opened his windows, and prayed like he always did because prayer was a habit with Daniel. He had trained himself. I want to talk to us Christians today, especially Christ followers. And if you're here today and you say, Mark, I'm not sure I'm a Christ follower yet. Hey, I'm so glad you're here because I still think this message will be beneficial. But I I want to talk for just a few moments, especially to those of you who have decided at some point in your life to invite Christ into your life. Guys, we need to understand, God's not going to come over us and sprinkle pixie dust on us and make us everything we should be. We have the responsibility to train. It's strange to me how that in growing up in Christianity and and just going to church all my life, I've watched as Christians try to get some sort of like voodoo going, you know, something really weird, Twilight Zone kind of stuff going. But listen to what Paul said. And this is Paul writing to, to a young pastor. He said, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train, boy, this is big. I, I'm just really letting this sink into my life. I hope it does in yours. Train yourselves to be godly. Timothy was pastoring during a time where there was a lot of mythology going around. People that, you know, were religious, but they had some sort of mythology. I, I remember, this is just a crazy example, but I remember bird hunting one day here in Kansas. And there was a couple guys from, from the church, and this, there was another guy who had invited us to go. And, and he was from a different school of, of Christianity that kind of like gets off into some of this crazy stuff. And he started telling us a story. We were driving back to Wichita, and he started telling us a story about being in this meeting in this church meeting, he said, yeah, man, everybody was getting all excited, and it was really, and he said, the next thing you know, there was a ball of fire that came right down the middle of the church. Now, I was born at night, but not last night. And I'm thinking, I doubt that real seriously. See, here's what happens to a lot of Christians. They want some sort of weird, crazy thing to come along and confirm their faith. And Paul is saying, look, if you are a God follower, don't listen to wives' tales. Don't listen to junk. Hit the gym. In fact, the word is the word we get our word gymnasium from. Train yourselves to be godly. 
Paul would also write this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might become disqualified. Paul's not talking about losing his salvation here. He's just talking about not living up to the destiny God gave for me, and God just saying, I'm having to put you on the bench. Paul must have loved sports. It seems like he loved running, wrestling, and boxing. And not making any commentary on the plus or minus on any of those. He just seemed like Paul liked them. Paul was in Corinth, where the Isthmian Games were held that were second in prominence only to the Olympics. And what Paul was doing, he's drawing from, from, from Olympic-type competition. He was saying we have to be careful that we don't become disqualified, not in what we do on the field, but in what we do in our training. I remember a few years ago, the Canadian sprinter Ben Johnson was running the 100 meters in the Olympics. And I, I watched it as it happened. I don't think I've ever seen anybody look as fast as Ben Johnson looked that day. I think he ran the 109.97, broke his own record, beat Carl Lewis that day. Phenomenal. And everybody was excited, especially people in Canada. They were really pumped about Ben Johnson, their sprinter. But three days later, they found out the guy had been, you know, hopped up on steroids. And he, and he lost the medal that he had gained. Not because of what he did on the field, but he lost his medal because of what he did in training. In other words, there was a glitch. There was a problem. And what I'm asking all of us today is, how's our training going? What are our habits like? Because just like with Daniel, our habits will tell the story. Think about your habits for a moment and how they got formed. Habits are just a matter of repetition. They're just like little grooves or ruts in our lives that habits make. I remember I used to have this dog, and when we lived, actually not too far from here, we had a huge backyard. I, every time I mowed it, I was thinking to myself, this has got to be the biggest backyard I've ever seen in my life. But our dog, man, he just like went down the same spot every time he was like running through the yard. And I, I actually took him, picked him up one day and showed him how big the yard was. Had absolutely no benefit on him because it was like he like cut this groove in our yard. And, and that's what habits are like. Habits are like stuff we repeat, 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 repeat. And all of a sudden there's a groove and then there's a gravity that pulls us. When, whenever an event happens, it's our habits that will tell the story. So how to, how to, if you have a bad habit in your life, and I have a few in mine, I guess we all do, how do bad habits happen? Bad habits happen like we're going downhill. It's easy thing to do. It's the easy way out. It's what makes us feel good. It may hurt us, but it's what I feel like doing. It's not a matter of training. It's just a matter of doing, taking, the, taking the road that goes downhill. What is a good habit? A good habit is doing the right thing. And I'll tell you, when you first start off, it's all uphill. A year ago, actually this month, there was a church in Tennessee that asked me to come out and work with their staff as they were working through some transitions. And so I flew out there, and they were having, they were having their staff retreat at Pigeon Forge. And the condos we were staying in were like in a, on a mountain. So I had worked with them all day long, and we got to the end of the first day, and the pastor said, hey, why don't we go for a run? I'm thinking, that sounds okay to me. The only thing is, guys, I got to tell you, the roads were like this. They were either straight down or straight up. And I'm from Kansas. I, could, I remember that night, I'd be going uphill. I would think my lungs were going to explode. 
And then going downhill was like resting. In fact, the only concern I had going downhill was just not to trip over my own feet. That's how habits form in our lives. The habits that you and I have, we, we form bad habits by doing the easy thing, going downhill. I'm just going to take the path of least resistance here. I'm going to do what makes me feel good. I'm going to get, here's the thing, instant gratification. That is the sales pitch for bad habits. I'm going to feel good instantly. I'm going to eat this Twinkie, and that's going to make me feel good, right? Good habits, good habits are not about instant gratification at all. I mean, it's basically gratification deferred, and that's how habits happen. But guys, let me just tell you something, because somebody could say, well, man, Mark, after hearing that, I think I'm just going to stick with my bad habits. (laughs) You don't want to do that, number one, because it'll write your story, and it won't be a good story. But secondly, here's what I've discovered about life, about every bad habit and every good habit that I've ever had. You start a good habit. And at first, it's difficult because it's like straight up. But after a while, you know, you start getting stronger in that habit. You start doing the right thing long enough, and all of a sudden, it's not as difficult anymore, and the grade's not quite as steep. And then if you do it long enough and successfully enough, there will be a day when you can't wait to do that good habit. Give Give you an example. Let's just take reading your Bible for a moment. This is God's Word. This is God's love message to you. We need to be in it all the time because we get taught all kinds of things from our culture and the world around us. We need to get reset to manufacture specifications. That's what God's Word does. But you open it and you read it and you say, I didn't get anything out of that. But you know what? If you keep doing it and keep reading it and God starts talking to you through his word, it's like, man, I can't wait. What is God saying to me today? That, That hill is not as steep anymore. On the other hand, you take a bad habit. It's downhill. You're thinking that's easy. What I've discovered about bad habits is once that debris starts forming in our lives and that bad habit, that grade starts getting steeper and steeper, and after a while, that bad habit will drive you crazy. So habits will tell the story. Now, at this point, we have to go into a workshop because I don't know what your habits are. I don't know what you need to work on. But let me give you four things. If you want to start a habit, a good habit in your life, first thing, before we get into the four things, let me say this. Don't just get rid of a bad habit. Replace it with a good habit. If there's a habit in your life that's destructive, don't try to just say, well, I'm not going to think about that. Replace it with a good habit. But four things to help build a good habit. This is maybe not everything you need to know, but these are really, really important to starting good habits. Number one on the hip parade. It's what we covered last week. Got to change your mind. Got to change your mind. Here's what I have to learn. If I start a new habit, but I haven't changed my mind, I still want to do what's not working in my life. You know, it's, I, I use dieting a lot because that's something I tend to think about, okay? If I'm, if I'm going on a diet and I want to lose, say, 20 pounds or 30 pounds, but I really still love the food that I think that's killing me, you know, if I still really want to do it, I'll lose the weight, but then I'll go right back over here to the food because I haven't changed my mind, see? So, number one, you have to start with changing your mind. You say, well, man, this, the way I date is, is killing me, but I, I know I need to change. So, for six weeks, I start trying to live a different way. But if my mind is still back over here with this person that's messing me around, it's not good. So, number one, you've got to change your mind. Number two, here's number two. I know this is going to sound superfluous, but it's really true. You've got to start. You've got to start. I, I'm a closet perfectionist. And, and one thing that closet perfectionists, and I don't know if any of the rest of us here like this, I mean, I, we don't talk about being a perfectionist, but we really are. One aspect of being a closet perfectionist is to procrastinate. 
I want everything to be so right that I'm going to like wait until everything's all perfect and then I'll start. I don't know how many times I've said this in my life. I'm going to start that diet tomorrow. Tomorrow. This is not a good day. This is not a good day. Tomorrow. I'm going to start my, this prayer revolution in my life. I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to get up early and we'll start it tomorrow. Guys, there's, there's one word for starting a habit, and that word is today. Today. Get started. Get started. Don't lose another day. If there's a good habit that needs to happen in your life, do what you can do to start that habit today. Number three, the third thing that's important about starting a new habit is patience. A few moments ago, I said the issue with starting a good habit is, is that your, your success is deferred. Bad habits have instant gratification. I don't know if my personal trainer is here in the service or not, but um, I've just started working with a personal trainer, like I told you last week, and he's a great, great guy, and he's taught me a lot about, about change. And, and one of the things that he said to me this week I thought was really, really important. He said, most people think it's the first week of training that's difficult. But he said, it's not the first week. It's the third or the fourth week when you've like trained and you don't see any benefit yet. You stand in, the mirror, in front of the mirror and say, I don't see anything different. And it's difficult and it's pushing and it's pressing. But it's like knowing that the good results are out there and if I keep doing what I need to be doing today, eventually it will pay off. Number four, the fourth thing is so important when it comes to habits and that is encouragement. You and I have to be careful who we let into our lives. Let me explain how this works. Let's just say that you, you hang with a particular group of people, and a lot of the people in that group, or maybe just one person, they have a lot of bad habits. You're turning around. You're changing. You're beginning to have some, work on some good habits. If, if you're going like this, and the other person in your life is going like this, the person who's going downhill is probably going to have some issues with you changing. And so if you're not careful that person can drag you down. Or maybe you're around somebody who's just a discourager. Ah, you'll never do any better. Ah, you'll always be the same. Ah, that's not going to work. Guys, if you have people like that in your life, you may have to push them aside during this time. Not that you don't love them, not that you don't care about them. It's just very important to listen to people who will do two things. Number one, encourage you. And number two, hold you accountable. You want people in your life who will help you, that will challenge you, that will press you and encourage you to reach your goal. Such is the nature of habits. The events that happen in your life won't tell your story. It's your habits. We, oh, let me close with this. I, I grew up learning the story that I told you today about Daniel. What do we call that story? If you grew up in Sunday school, Daniel in the lion's den. That story's not Daniel in the lion's den. That story's Daniel and his habits. It was his prayer habit that told that story. And your habits and my habits will tell our story. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your help and your strength as we work to change our habits. Lord, I ask you that you will help each one of us to feel this message right in the area that we need it most. Help me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Still praying here. The most important thing you and I can ever do to experience change in our lives is to invite God in. God wants to be in every one of our lives. 
You say, Mark, how many people here does God want to go to heaven? Every single person. You might say, Mark, how many people does God want to be in his family? The answer is every single person. But the issue is that we all have things that we've done wrong that separate us from God. And God didn't want that situation to be like that. So what God did was he, he, he sent his son Jesus into our world to basically pay for the things that we've done wrong. Jesus, for 33 years, lived a perfect life. And then after living that perfect life, he lay on a cross. And the way God looked at it, he paid for every sin you and I ever have or ever would commit. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. A-double-L. What a strong statement. And the reason why God did that, that was the only way for you and I to have a relationship with God. Jesus took our sin out of the way and opened the door to us having God into our li- in our lives. And it's a gift. You know, many of us grew up thinking, wow, I've got to be part of a church to go to heaven. Wrong. Oh, I have to be baptized to go to heaven. Wrong. Well, I have to be a good person to go to heaven. Well, that's so wrong because none of us can be perfect. What God wants is for you to accept his gift of Jesus, to invite Christ into your life. And here's what's wonderful. When Christ comes into your life, number one, he takes away all your sins. Number two, he assures you of heaven as your eternal home. And then number three, God actually moves inside of you. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you won't have any more problems. It just means that you have a power that you didn't start out with. That the power to live the kind of life that you and I need to live is there and present and available. So as I do every weekend in just about every service, if, I want to invite you to accept Christ. If you never have, I'm going to invite you to invite him into your life and to receive God's gift of salvation. I'm going to pray a prayer. These aren't magic words, but if it's what you want to do, I'm going to give you a chance to pray with me. And I'll pray these words slowly so that you can think about them. But here's what the Bible says. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you mean this from your heart, There's a very, very big God on the other end of your prayer. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you died to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave, and today I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Please forgive me and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I know that happened lightning quick, and you could say, what in the world happened to me? And I understand that. I have I prepared a little packet of stuff that I want to give you. If you just prayed to receive Christ, I got some DVDs and great stuff, because I know it happened so fast. You say, Mark, I just prayed a prayer. Did my whole life change? This is my gift to you to help you answer that question. And it, it won't cost you anything. All I need you to do is this. When you came in, you received a worship folder. If you prayed to receive Christ, would you detach this part? If you would put your name and address on there and just check the box. And I think I'm holding the wrong side. Yeah, there we go. You just check the box and say, I prayed to receive Christ. If it's got your address on there, you can just drop it in the offering bags, drop it in the boxes in the back or the bottom of the staircase. I will mail this to you this week. But I hate to wait for anything. I just I have type A personality. And if you're like me and you have a few extra minutes today, you don't have to wait. Because if, if you can just stop by, I'm going to point to two zones right past the middle door. It's called Guest Services or New Spring Store. If you have a few extra moments, if you prayed to receive Christ, all you got to do is bring your card. You don't have to make a speech. They won't ask any questions. Just say, I pray with Mark, and they'll give this to you, and you can take it home with you today. 
because we want you to know God. That is the most important thing at New Spring Church. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward now and receive the offering. Um, Envelopes in the back of the pews, and while they're coming, let me tell you, I can't wait to talk with you about next week's topic. We've had change your mind, change your habits. Next week is absolutely huge, so we'll be seeing you very soon. God bless.